welcome to the Outer Limits of Minute Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Today, we have a special event. The gentleman who's appearing on our show, this is the second interview he's done in five years. He's the editor and founder of WakingTimes.com. This is a great site, all about evolution, all about growth, a lot of helpful information. It's very positive. It's not like a bunch of these other sites out there that when you go to them, it says, here's what happened in the news today. You know, that that doom porn, you're not going to find in Awakening Times. Mr. Dylan Charles, I think he's a great thinker, very cutting edge. And not only are we going to talk about his site and some of the articles on it, but we're going to go into his evolution, talk about how he came to the conclusions uh, that he did and why he decided to start Waking Times. I was really happy and I found it interesting and intriguing and I hope you do as well. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show proudly presents an introspective interview and forensic soul analysis on Mr. Dylan Charles. Our guest today on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show is Mr. Dylan Charles. This gentleman is the editor of WakingTimes.com. It's a phenomenal site. I am on there all the time. My wife thinks I'm on there looking at girls in bikinis. I'm like, no, I'm on Waking Times. She's always trying to catch me. And uh, let me tell you something else about Mr. Charles. He is a student and teacher of Shaolin Kung Fu, Tai Chi, Kwai Kong. Qi Kong. Qi Kong, yeah. So Dylan's a master of three different methodologies of kicking your ass. <laughs> He's also a practitioner of yoga. The Taoist art, Taoist arts. He's also the proprietor of OffGridOutpost.com. Mr. Charles, it is a great honor to have you with us today. Thank you for appearing on our program. Likewise, thanks, Ryan, for that introduction and, and for uh, very much. Thank you much for having me on, right? So, Waking Times constantly putting a lot of great information out about where you see the world going. You've written a lot of interesting articles. I'd like to cover some of those articles today. Right. I guess the first question I want to ask you, though, is where do you see the world going right now? What, I mean, what are some of the trends that you, that you have observed at this point in time that you see the world heading towards for the foreseeable future? Uh, it, from my perspective, the best way I can describe it is um, I like to think of it as we're headed for the collective dark night of the soul. You know what I mean? Like, uh, in my personal experience and, and from what I've heard from many other people, in order to sort of wake up to the reality of what's happening and to wake up into greater awareness, greater consciousness, it seems pretty common that people uh, always have an experience or a collection of experiences or a, a train wreck of experiences that forces them to look at everything that's that's wrong with their lives, everything that they've, you know, the 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 uh, amalgam of all the, the poor decisions that they've made. And so, in my opinion, the way I see it is that that's happened personally for many people, especially over the last five, ten years, and as a collective society, as a one human being, if you will, like we're going to have to go through that. We're going to have to see uh, all of our mistakes and everything that's that it's that it's done to the world and everything that it's uh, all the poor positions it's put us in. So, um, unfortunately, I think that we have uh, quite a bit of revelation to do still. Oh, we see a collective dark night of soul. Are you, if you're looking at it from a metaphysical, spiritual, and you're looking at it from a scientific, logical, what would be one or two or some of the conclusions that you could conclude? Well, you would realize could be the collective dark night of the soul oh man that's i mean if you look what's happening like like i, I prefer to look at things personally through a metaphysical uh, uh lens um 
I've, I've looked at, I've studied, I've listened to, I've listened to lots of news for many, many years, decades now, you know, politics, government, uh, read lots and lots of history and stuff and sort of blew through all of that into my own uh, metaphysical awakening. And so it helps me to be happy on a day-to-day basis, to be positive and to be proactive when I look at things through um, the metaphysical sense. Uh, but when you back that down a bit, yeah, I mean, there's some there's some strange things happening. You know, I, I personally don't play partisan politics, but you can see the division that's being brought into uh, the arena with, the, you know, the whole Trump situation. And, and um, you know, that's just one element. That's like the, the, the mask that's on the, the whole beast, right? That's just what we see up in front. Behind all that are the really hardcore things that are going on. I think the, the most important things are, are what's going on with the, military-industrial complex, what we call the deep state, uh, what we call, uh, you know, the black budgets, all the missing trillions from the Pentagon, all of this money that's being spent on basically turning technology into uh, weaponizing technology, right? Any, any idea that in human invention, any ingenuity that we, that we have is being, uh, you know, brought under the dark wings of DARPA and immediately weaponized, I see that as a huge thing. Uh, personally, I'm quite concerned with, with uh, some of the environmental uh, destruction that we see going on that just doesn't even really make it to the front page, you know. Uh, a big one for me is when something can happen like Fukushima and nobody really pays attention to it. It's pretty amazing, right? They all focus on Meryl Streep's speech against Trump. That, that, was, that was a big thing. No Fukushima coverage after that, though. No, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where the, the media does work in the way that it – brings people's attention to things. And so, you know, let's say hypothetically that, that, you know, all of a sudden you woke up one day and everybody started talking about Fukushima as if it were an actual crisis. You know, oh, my God, you know, this is still dumping how many, many decorals of radio, radioactive water into the ocean each day. You know, if, if people put that into the, into the forefront of consciousness, then, it, you know, the, the impetus for change would arrive uh, behind it slowly. But, but you know, when you look at things like how just how the the environment is treated by, you know, this whole paradigm, the, the corporate structure that we have with the willful ignorance of the political body, um, you know, that to me is a huge red flag. I mean, a lot of people are concerned, you know, a lot of people frame it different ways, whether it's climate change, global warming, uh, whatever. I see it as as just the wanton destruction of of our planet our home you know you look at what's happening in the rainforest in south america and indonesia uh you look at the you know the amount of trees and the bees that are dying here in north america and uh this these are the things to me that warrant our immediate immediate attention not not framed in the political paradigm of of this is a climate change matter we need laws and and um you know we need um you know the united nations or someone to come in and uh, you know, dictate to us, you know, how to uh, use our land and use our, you know, whatever. You know, we don't need a, a political body coming in and taking over more control. What we need is like a, a, a shift of consciousness, that awakening that says, oh, sh-, you know, oh, oh no, like <laughs> this is more important than Meryl Streep or <laughs> Donald, yep. Donald Trump, for example, you know. So those are a couple of like the non-metaphysical things that I think are are uh, truly important. Plus, I feel like I feel like we're being I feel like we're being pushed into this this uh, scenario where uh, even though we don't have an enemy, we're supposed to believe all the time that we have an enemy, and you know, when one of them doesn't turn out to be as dangerous or what have you, as as it's been built up to be, you know, it's a constant escalation of of uh, our enemies, and you see that going on, of course, with the propaganda against Russia and, 
and uh, you know the the it's just it's total insanity when you when you see these people you know actually talking about um, needing to confront Russia militarily. Uh, yeah, it's pretty nuts. Posturing posturing in the South China Sea, you know, really is is that where we're is that where we're all going to go? I personally feel like people are too awake to to uh, be drug dragged into that at the moment um and they're awakening more and more so i think that the the powers that be whatever you want to call them uh are having to push harder and harder and harder to to give us reasons to hate each other and give us reasons to ignore the really important things in life like our, our health uh you know the chemical pollution of of our you know in, uh, agricultural lands of our food supply and all of these these really important issues I feel like that we're being we're being put in a position where just the boogeyman has to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and that whatever that's going to lead to, I don't know, but I, I feel like that's going to push us into a metaphysical crisis, and I feel like it's through that crisis is the only real way that we can uh, uh, create that shift in consciousness that operates above and beyond that makes changes bigger than any political body or any you know rules, regulations, uh, laws, code, ordinance, structure can can do for us to create change because the only way the human uh, race can really achieve the kind of change that's going to create the kind of world that that I would like to see for my children and grandchildren is is through something bigger than politics. So, we, we look at the world right now, and you're saying that you're seeing more and more people become aware, become aware, um, and too awake, or just becoming maybe aware of what's happening in the world. But then you also look at the amount of people who are suffering, the people who are starving, the people who are out of work. They have this report uh, the government put out said 95 million people are out of work, and yet there's only 4% employment. So that's just – imagine 95 million people are probably going to be feeling pretty depressed or they're probably going to be in some kind of crisis. And you think about all the other people around the world who are in a state of war or who are, on, um, who are perpetually depressed. It seems that those people – could those people be trapped in the crisis of now and maybe be awake but not fully realize their awakening by being stuck in that particular crisis? And if so – what can you do to pull those people out of their crisis of now and pull them into an awakening state where they can actually be productive towards the greater movement of enlightenment and pulling people towards this peace, uh, world of peace? Yeah, that's perhaps the biggest question of all. You know, I, I feel like um, I feel like the awakening is definitely uh, it's, it's gaining momentum, but at the same time, especially in the last year, year and a half, I feel like it's becoming more and more of a paradox. Um, you, you know, like I, I, I know personally what it feels like to go through a major change of perspective. I've seen it happen to many, many, many people. I've worked with a lot of shamanic plant medicines and stuff and seen people go through tremendous awakenings. So I know it's totally possible. But at the same time, uh, it seems like a lot of people are getting sucked back down into the, uh, you know, the what I call the morass of current events. You know, they're just, you know, uh, sucked into the current of what's happening, as you call it, the crisis of the now. As far as like people in other places where life is life is hard, because even with 95 million million people out of the workforce right now in the United States, I mean life is is pretty good here. And I'm saying that from the perspective of someone who's lived in I lived in Central America for seven years and just recently moved back to the United States. And so the the, the area that we lived in was um, I wouldn't say it was poor, but it was you know it was an, an agrarian community. A lot of people worked on farms. A lot of people you know. You have three or four generations of people living in the same homes, uh, very extremely modest homes, to put it to put it humbly. Um, you know, those people having that perspective, having lived in a place like that, you know, seeing the people who actually do suffer with with challenges of you know like day to day financial challenges, 
challenges and infrastructure challenges in, in a political body that, that is even probably more corrupt than, or more just uh, um, less infested by kind of a new world order thing, but just more day-to-day corruption. You know, I, I really don't know. Like, having that perspective, I really don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, because what I saw when I was in Central America is I saw people um, falling for the the sort of carrots of consumerism that, that you know, have, have really taken hold or really been spawned from the United States. You know, people are really, um, really not interested in organic foods. They're really not interested in, in, um, in um, living healthy lifestyles. You know, they, they, they enjoy life. Uh, they merrily enjoy life, you know, living with the TV on all the time, you know, consuming junk foods and soda pops and, and uh, you know, uh, throwing trash all over the place and stuff. I mean, so I really don't know. I think that, I think that what's, what's, what's sad about it, I think what, what's, what's unfortunate about it is that there's a lot of opportunity for uh, a nation like the United States with such amazing productivity, ingenuity, and, and passion that we have in, in, in this country to uh, spread uh, better qualities around the world. You know, I, I think that we could do a lot more with our resources. And so, I don't know. I, I've kind of come back here and looked at looked at um, what's happening in the U.S. and see how much of our resources go to, you know, military and defense spending, how much we spend on surveilling ourselves and other people, and how much we basically spend on building our own prison. And so I think that before you can really count on a massive global awakening of the, you know, the poor suffering masses or whatever you want to call them, I think that you have to start with the, you know, the top of the pyramid, writing, you know, like changing the direction that the people in positions of uh, um, uh, power, influence, and uh, prosperity have, you know, over the rest of the world. So, you know, it's it's always been like this from what I've what I've read on planet Earth. You know, it's, there's there's never been a real uh, era of parity between uh, the rich and the poor. Uh, but there's always been a struggle between the middle class and the rich to uh, create a type of government that is equitable. So, um, in a sense, it's a metaphysical crisis, but in a sense, it comes down to the, the day-to-day, you know, functioning of, of, of government and and uh, the powers that be, if you will, you know. So, I was wondering if you could go into a little bit about your personal life, your your dark night of the soul. I find it very intriguing that when you go to your site, wakingtimes.com, that every other day, every couple of days, you, you write you know, two or three different pages, and it's, it's a fresh original article. You're not uh, rehashing some of the previous articles you've written, so it's actually fresh material. So I'm wondering, how did you come to your conclusions? What was your dark and light of the soul, and when did you decide to start Waking Times? Uh, let me kind of take that in reverse. I started Waking Times about five years ago. Um, I had been into alternative news and information for at least the last 20 something years. Um, and so, um, way back then it was, it was, you know, Rush Limbaugh was in a way considered alternative news back then, which is, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that was really at the emergence of, of talk radio, which has grown into its own beast. But, um, I was always interested in that information and, and, uh, interested in, in what was really happening below the, the surface. And that sort of drove me into some political like action and stuff. You know, I, I did a lot of political work with the Ron Paul campaign eight years ago, and, and that really helped me to understand how the political system works. But around that time, I was just, um, I was working all the time. I had, uh, I was in my late twenties. I was, uh, married. I've been married now for almost 20 years and I've been married for seven or eight years at that time. And, and, uh, had just uh, 
one personal crisis after another, after another, after another, and it led to severe depression, severe anxiety. Um, people would look at me and be like, wow, you have a nice house, a nice car, a really cool job. I was a sound designer in the video game business, one of the coolest jobs I think anybody could have if they want to do corporate work. <laughs> And, um, and uh, you know, it seemed like I had it all, but I was, I, I didn't. And so I was going to psychiatrists and psychologists and my doctors and stuff and, you know, trying to get help from them. And and uh, a major turning point for me was when I went to, uh, I was ahead, I don't, I don't know if you'd call it like a mental breakdown. Yeah, let's just call it a mental breakdown. But uh, I went to my doctor and, and he put me on immediately. He was like, you know, take Xanax today and then take this sample pack of Geodon or whatever antipsychotic, antidepressant medicine. And I went and took it and then I went to work and started experiencing a whole bunch of side effects, like really like weird physical side effects and called him up on the phone and told him that the medicine was making me sick. And you know, his reply was, was a, oh, don't worry, you'll get used to the side effects, which I thought was crazy. But he had set up for me an appointment with a, one of the leading psychiatrists in the town, you know, one of the guys that sat on the, the uh, board of, of the psychiatry board for, you know, whatever, like some big shot. And so I went to see this guy and I never met him before. And I talked to him for, you know, in, in a one hour appointment, it started off and, and, uh, you know, he's asking me what my deal was and what my, what my issues were. And I wasn't yet comfortable talking to this guy. And I remember looking at him, this older, like I said, this big shot fella. And, and, uh, he, um, uh, we, we sort of like went back and forth. It was like a game of chess, if you will. And he was trying to get what information he needed out of me so he could figure out what to describe me. And I was trying to just figure out um, if I was comfortable tell, you know, sharing my personal life with this guy. And it came down to the end of the appointment, and I didn't really tell him anything. And he finally says, um, he finally says, um, I looked up on his wall, and his wall, one of his walls was covered with war memorabilia, you know, stuff from Vietnam, Vietnam era, like, you know, little uh, models of uh, fighter jets and this sort of stuff, and pictures of himself, with, you know, in uniform with this guy or that guy, whatever. And so I asked this guy, I looked at him, and I said, well, you know, doctor, tell me, uh, I'm curious, I have a couple questions for you. And he said, yeah, okay. So I looked at him right now, and I said, how much money do you make? And he, and he looks at me, and he says, I make $450,000 a year. I have a Mercedes Benz. I have two Mercedes Benz. I have a Cessna, whatever aircraft. I own a house in Westlake Hills. I own a house in Durango, Colorado on a property in Acapulco, Mexico, or whatever it was. And I, I was like, wow, that's interesting. So I looked on his wall and I said, well, you know, were, were you in the Vietnam War? He said, yes, I was. And I said, well, do you mind if I ask what you did? And he said, I was a fighter bomber pilot. I said, okay, that's cool. And I looked him right now and I said, I said, how many people do you think you've killed? And he looks me right back, and it was one of those literally an apocalypse now kind of moment. He goes, thousands, thousands. Oh, my God. And so then uh, <laughs> that was like a shock to me. I was like, I'm sitting in the room with a mass murderer, right? You know, I mean. Shit. <laughs> 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 so, so the appointment wraps up, and he reaches in his desk, and he's like, well, you know, we'll get to the bottom of all this over time, but right now you need to take this, you need to take that, you need to take that. And he literally walked, I literally walked out of his office with seven different prescription meditations to take every day. You know, one of them was to help me get off the stuff that my other doctor gave me. One of them was to help me sleep after taking one of the other medicines. One of them was to wean down while I weaned up on something else. And it was literally seven. I was supposed to take seven medications. I asked him for how long. I think I was 26 at the time. And he said, yeah, this is forever, son. Uh, you know, and, and uh, so I walked out of the office and I walked out of the office and, and uh, had this literally this bag of pills rattling in my hand. And I, I stepped out of his office onto the, the sidewalk, whatever. And I looked at the trash can. I dropped him in the trash can. And I was like, "That's it. This is it, man. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going this route. My life is too precious to do this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna heal myself, whatever it takes." 
And so um, just a short time after that is when I started practicing Kung Fu. There was a guy that used to come to my office uh, that I worked with who used to always come to the office with swords and, you know, uh, uh, staffs and short sticks and nunchucks and all this kind of stuff. And so I asked him what he was up to, and he took me to the Kung Fu school. And that was it, man. Three, four weeks of that, my depression was gone. Like, literally within a month, two months, depression was gone, anxiety was gone. I just started working out, doing Kung Fu three, five times a week. And uh, when I ask- if I just pause for just one second, before um, when you were experiencing that pr- depression and anxiety, did you ever do you look at it now? Do you sense that it was basically your you outgrowing the paradigm, you basically not being able to accept what reality was or what reality the way the reality is being presented to you, and you had those symptoms because you were resisting uh, the way reality was or being presented to you? Yeah, I, th- I think it was definitely like like warning signs. Um, I, I, I feel like, you know, in hindsight now, I feel like it was, it was, um, it was the result of, of, you know, propaganda, um, is the result of, uh, poor lifestyle choices, you know, lots of bad decisions that, you know, everything from, you know, poor diet to, to, uh, you know, lack of exercise to, uh, you know, just, uh, partying too much, drinking too much and all the other stuff that, that you do when you're young and in college and that sort of thing. And so I think all of that and having to try to force yourself to conform in the society, you know, like, I, you know, I, was, I had gone through a period where I was trying to figure out, oh, gee, what job do I need? What career do I have? I'd gone back to college and gotten a college degree and, you know, something totally useless just because I knew I was supposed to have a college degree to, to make it in this world and, and uh, you know, took on a bunch of debt and everything. And, you know, that's another thing, too, being in debt, being in consumer debt, being in uh, school um you know, uh, school loan debt. Uh, so I think it was really just the, the snowball of things that kind of hit me all at once. And uh, ultimately what it led to is, like I said, it led me on the path of, of martial arts. And, and within the system of Kung Fu, there's so many different things, like you mentioned Qigong and Tai Chi. And, and uh, ultimately I found uh, um, a couple of Qigong teachers that, that I trained with for a few years in a particular system that was incredibly transformative. Now, right about the same time, what, what really made a huge difference for me was I, I stumbled across a couple of books, um, some strange, like uh, almost kind of new agey stuff at that time, uh, metaphysical stuff like Drun Below Melchizedek and uh, just basically like ideas that totally blew my mind because I'd never heard them in school, I'd never heard them in college, I'd never heard anybody talking about them, you know, when they went out, you know. Until, who were those authors so we can just take note of them, like some of the books that really transformed you? Man, there's so many good books. There's so many good books out there. Um, yeah. So the ones that the ones that you discovered right away that, that really had the, the really powerful for you. I remember one book that had that had a really serious impact on me was uh, it's called Man and Assembles. It's it's a it's not by Carl Jung, but it's by his like uh, researchers, I believe, and it, by, by his staff. But it's basically like. Um, an uh, easy to digest, comprehensive book about Jung's whole body of work. His work into dreams, his work into art, his work into psychology, his work into metaphysics, uh, um, even his work into like uh, indigenous cultures, you know, African cultures, and a lot of the, the stuff that he, you know, that he did in his journeys around the world. Because Carl Jung did a lot of of uh, uh, looking into history to understand, uh, you know, what, what he would call maybe like the plight of modern men. That was a book that really had a huge impact on me. There's a lot of good novels out there, things like, you know, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle and Mechanics and, you know, just a lot of classic books, uh, uh, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, all that kind of stuff. But there was a lot of, 
uh, other metaphysical books, a lot of Taoist books I read. Yeah, another okay. another book I can tell you is um, what is his name? It's um, uh, Montak Chia. He writes about uh, Qigong. Uh, okay. He writes about Qi, like the Taoist study of um, of uh, Qi, like the practices to cultivate Qi. And I fell into some of those books. Um, I, there was another book I cannot recall the name, but it was a book about uh, Kundalini awakening. You know, it was basically the story of a of a gentleman from from India who was you know married and had a family and this and that, and then. Uh, was doing, uh, I guess I can't recall correctly, but I think he was doing yoga or, or yoga meditation or something, and then boom, one day he had the full Kundalini awakening experience, you know, with the serpent rising up, coiling the spine, uh, you know, uh, a complete, like, energetic awakening, and uh, what that was like for him. And so just, like, to stumble upon, upon these, these these types of uh, ideas when you're having a personal crisis and you realize that, okay, maybe I'm having a, a crisis because I didn't really understand, you know, what it, you know the the full possibility of what it meant to be human. You know, like like what really what really can we uh, feel? You know, like what have we been cut off from feeling? You know, and and so those uh, a lot of that stuff was a huge, huge had a huge impact on me. Um, I know Montauk Chia's books had some very simple meditations, things like the microcosmic orbit meditations and stuff, real simple things that anybody can do. Um, you know, and if you do them with uh, you know daily with regularity, they can have uh, just incredibly deep impact. Get, bring incredibly deep experiences and, and have a huge impact. Um, so all of that like knowledge and all that information is 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 out there. It's been out there forever, and it's you know as you know Ryan like they don't teach that stuff in schools here. They don't talk about it on TV. Um, you know, so to, go ahead. You can't get a pharmaceutical company to back it. <laughs> no, they're you know I'm sure they're looking. You know, I mean, uh, who was it? Was it? Uh, say it was Bill Nye or one of the other major science skeptics went to uh, Canada and actually had them like, you know, do brainwave entrainment on him so that he could see ghosts and stuff, you know, like, yeah, they're working on it, you know. <laughs> you know I'm just curious, you have a, you said that you, your depression and anxiety were kind of, um, kind of went away when you were engaging in uh, Kung Fu and you're really applying yourself. When you engage and you're experiencing all this this great awakening do you feel that the awakening itself was what your depression was about or was your depression more about also about you know things that you're processing and aspects of your life that you got to heal first uh it's definitely about processing and healing healing things but i think a huge part of it for me was was that you know you know this is something i think a lot of people may be experiencing right now was i had been taken in um in addition to all the other things you know i had you know, not eating well and not taking care of myself just on a physical level. But I'd also been taking in a lot of psychic baggage by watching not just the news, but the alternative news. And the alternative news at that time was, was, uh, there's a lot of people who aren't on the air anymore, but it was, um, really pretty hardcore, you know. Um, it was all about the police state. It was all about, um, you know, the New World Order takeover, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, it was very dark, and because it was still so much in the in, in the closet, if you will, it was it was still very frightening. I think that I believe that was about the time that that I realized, you know, I started waking up to you know the whole 9/11 thing and really asking myself if I believe the official story or not. So, you know, when, when all that stuff hits you at once, um, yeah, I think that that all really triggered triggered you know major major state of depression and, and anxiety and and um, 
so I think that I think that a lot of people are probably experiencing right now. At least I, I see it the way people communicate and talk about you know Trump and politics and stuff these days. I think that a lot of people are really shocked that, that things are as are as real and as um, you know as perilous as they're starting to starting to see. You know, so that was a big factor of it to me was the the information that I was taking out. I think so. Like I said, at that time I was I was really pretty involved in uh, like politics and, and joining movements and stuff is, you know, to, to see if there was any way to create actual real political change within the system. You know, I, at that time, I wouldn't think of myself as an anarchist in any way, uh, probably more so now, but, but I uh, was looking for, um, I was looking for someone in the system to save the system as it was, you know, I believed in America and, and, and the, the system of government, and you know, it was real heavily read in the Constitution and, and all the, those sorts of things, and and uh, I really felt like that was the answer. And so, I, I don't know. Ultimately, what I realized though over the last seven or eight years is that that I really was carrying with me personally. Um, however, that built up, I was carrying a whole lot of just personal uh, baggage. Um, like I mentioned before briefly, um, I have a lot of I've had a lot of experiences with plant medicines, shamanic plant medicines. Um, ayahuasca and iboga and an African plant medicine. And in those experiences, I've been able to really see and, and purge and cleanse uh, the stuff that I know now that was probably troubling me through my teenage years, through my early 20s and stuff. You know, things that happened when I was a childhood with parents, you know, family and all this John, stuff. Yeah. Would you please be able to share, um, do you feel comfortable talking about your experience in ayahuasca? Because oh, we, yeah. we've, we've covered ayahuasca before and uh, one of my greatest teachers was a, was a very uh, passionate advocate of ayahuasca yeah. and it's personal experience. It's, it's life changing. It's definitely life changing. Yeah. I mean, um, I still, um, I really, I really don't know what, what, what more can be said about it. And I say this because there's so much, there's been just kind of a flood of information about it on the web in the last, you know, five, six, seven years, um, uh, really about the last five years. And, and, so if you've heard of it, you've probably read a little bit about it, but um, my experiences, I feel, are, are, are unique in the sense that the, the, the people that I've done it with are a particular tribe from uh, northern Ecuador uh, known as the Sequoia, and their tradition, the way they conduct ceremonies, the way they make the brew, the way they uh, heal within stuff is a lot different than pretty much 99% of the stuff I read out there. Um, so my experiences with it have been pretty, pretty deep. Um, uh, I think to, there, there's just so much to it, Ryan, but I think, I think, um, would, would you recommend people that, that, that they experience it or would you recommend that they, that they go to some place and experience it themselves? Do you think it's a crucial part? It could be a very, um, an advanced, uh, major advancement in their evolution. Uh, I think it could definitely be a major advancement in a lot of people's evolutions. Definitely not everybody. I mean, I've, in the context I've been in, when I've done it in, I've done it with hundreds of people at this point. You know, both as a as a part as like a you know a person in the ceremony just drinking, and also as a you know a co-facilitator. Uh, not in any way like a shaman, but someone who's helping to assist the other people get through the night and stuff. So I've seen a lot of people. I've had my own experiences that are pretty. Um, both uh, super enlightening, uh, very, very eye-opening, but also experiences that are very, very difficult in the sense of, you know, physical difficulty, uh, emotional difficulty. So I, 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 it's, something that I, it's something that I try not to recommend to people, um, because be, primarily because of the way that I got involved in it. Um, I had never heard of it at all, and 
uh, a fellow mentioned it to me when I was living in Washington State. He just mentioned a word and, and uh, something clicked in my mind and, and I asked him what that was and he you know, talked about South America, this or that, and I, you know, I was like, that's something I'll never, you know, I'd have to be like a National Geographic, you know, anthropologist to go see that, so whatever. And, uh, you know, less than a year later, I found myself living in Central America, and that guy, we sort of got in touch again out of the blue, and he mentioned that he was coming down close to where I was, and I had this, like, wait, you can actually do this? And, and um, when he... In between those time, I had a book with me because I took a bunch of books down when we moved out of the country. And, and uh, one of the books was um, another one of the books for your list, uh, Jeremy Narby's The Cosmic Serpent. And I had never heard about ayahuasca. I had never read anything at all about it. And then I just I had this book because, I, you know, it was about DNA and, and uh, anthropology. And I thought it would be interesting. Well, it turns out the book's about ayahuasca um, uh, and, you know, DNA and anthropology. And so uh, I'd read the book, and it mentioned ayahuasca, and I was like, wow, that's super fascinating. And then a few months later, this guy randomly got in touch with me. Six or eight months later, I found myself actually in a, in a situation deep in the jungle, uh, with very, very well cared for, very well, well-protected space with amazing people, with uh, several old 80, 85-year-old shaman from Ecuador, and uh, was like... Uh, I just had to go. I told my wife, I was like, I have no idea what I'm getting into. Uh, I just have to, I have to do this. I don't know why. I don't even know what it is. I don't know if it's dangerous. I haven't read anything about it other than the book. The book doesn't talk about the experience, it, except from an anthropological point of view, right? And so uh, it called me, I guess is what I'm saying, you know? So I, I really don't like to recommend it to people. If people are interested in hearing my experience with it, I love to share them, but I don't, I, I'm not one of his advocates, you know, I'm not out to make a movie about it and tell people to go. I've written a lot about it on my, <laughs> on my blog, but you know what I mean? Like I've, I've, I've written a lot about it on my, my uh, website, but I've, but I've never written it from the tone of here's what happened when I took some, you know, it's never been a trip report. Um, but you know, like to, to, um, share just a little bit of information or detail about the, the first experience I had, you know, it was a 10 day event, uh, deep in the jungle. Um, you spend the first three days uh, with this particular um, tradition. We spend the first three days waking up at three o'clock in the morning and drinking a watered-down uh, uh, version of this brew, but like a whole bunch of gourds of it, like you know, several gallons of it. Uh, it doesn't really like trigger the whole effects that you get from ayahuasca, but it it purges and cleans out your body. So we would do this and basically puke for uh, you know three o'clock in the morning until the sun comes up for three days. And then we would have the ceremonies. And the ceremonies, we would fast all day and then, you know, hike out to the ceremonial lodge and we would drink all night. We drink from when the sun goes down till when the sun comes up. And so it's a much deeper experience than what I've heard from pretty much anybody. I know there's a lot of traveling shamans and people that come through the U.S. and, and a lot of them have a sort of, um, you know, uh, 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 a, a mixed cultural perspective on it. You know, there's, there's very real, rare, uh, very little purity left in the, in the traditions that you see coming, coming through here. Uh, and so, um, my experiences were, you know, way out in the middle of the jungle. Um, there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Just you facing yourself in the medicine under the care of, of, you know, uh, masters of true plant medicine masters. And what happened to me was a complete, complete, you know, um, you know, the first night we did three ceremonies, you know, one, one night ceremony, sleep the next day we fast, have another ceremony and then sleep the next day and fast again. So very, very, very physically taxing. And, and, um, we, um, uh, the first night for me was, was pretty lame. Nothing really happened. Uh, 
nothing really happened at all, just a couple of kind of swirly visions, that sort of thing. The next night, uh, started drinking, and then midnight or so, everything happened. You know, like, essentially, like, my whole ego system structure just got shattered and blown. I, I felt like, you know, I had, I had basically died and, and uh, was able to experience uh, the shaman from his side of the room channeling uh, his healing powers into me and, and, you know, helping me to make it through this experience where I basically had to learn to let go of, of my self-identity and my family, my children, let go of everything in order to, you know, to rise up out of that, to see what and who I really was. Um, uh, the third night though was just even way more transformational than that. I mean, it, it's, it's really hard to describe in a short conversation like this, but without a doubt, I was able to experience what I would consider, you know, magic, like, you know, like uh, uh, these gentlemen working, singing songs, and you can feel and see and witness like the magic that they're doing, the way that they're protecting the space. I got to a point where I could actually see, uh, you know, spiritual entities coming into the room and have Jeez. and how these 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 maestros were protecting us from that, you know, and and uh, even experience the magic of of revelation. You know, the, the, after a full ten days of journeying with these people. Uh, totally cut off from my family. Um, you know, my wife and children didn't contact them all week for the first time ever. I'd never taken a vacation separate from my wife. And, uh, you know, after basically having my whole everything broken down and <laughs> let go of everything, uh, the very last moment I had this revelation that my, my wife was pregnant. And sure enough, I went home the next day and, and after talking for an hour and a half and telling her everything, she's like, you know, can I talk? Can I say something now? And I was like, yeah, honey, what? And she's like, the day you left, I took the pregnancy test, and I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, my God, I knew this. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a boy, you know? And there was no doubt in my mind, you know? So for me, it was the experience of, of you know, uh, magic. Um, you know, of course, I went back, and I've gone back many, many, many times. A lot of times when you do it, Ryan, nothing happens at all. And um, a lot of Go ahead. No, sometimes it could be other different. Yeah, I know. It's, it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it depends on how you're taking care of yourself. But I think the thing that, that matters most is how you integrate what you've learned in the, you know, the last ceremony. You know, I think Graham Hancock's talked about this too. You know, it's, um, uh, you know, like it's a, it's a teacher. It you know, teaches you lessons and, uh, it, it knows, it knows things about your life that you don't know and it can show you things that, that you didn't realize. And, and it's, it's true. You're definitely dealing with a, a, a very powerful spiritual force. And um, uh, at the, it's it's <laughs> omnipotent. Uh, it cares, but at the same time, it's brutal. Like you know, it expects it expects <laughs> yeah. you. You know, like <laughs> you know, the grandmother ayahuasca. She expects you to do the work. And you know, like traditions like the Santo Daime, who who do this uh, from a you know Christian perspective, and you know, who actually have churches in the states where they do it. They drink very small doses early in the evening, just for a few hours. Um, but even still. Uh, when it's um, at that level, they still call it the work because it very much is work. But so what I found is if you go take whatever lessons you've learned, whether it's you know how to be a better person, how to love yourself more, how to control your anger, or how to channel your creativity, or how to um, you know uh, how to actually move into the pursuit of, of creating the life that you want, not just the life that you have. If you do all these things, then and go back and, and drink again, you're challenged with more and more, you know, greater business, greater horizons. Uh, but that said, I've seen myself go through through experiences where it's been, you know, uh, just earth shattering, very, very hard to deal with, lots of crying, screaming, you know, that sort of stuff. 
and I've seen that happen to a number of people. And uh, like I said, I've I've done it with a, a lot of people um, working with a friend of mine, and and um, and uh, a lot of people, uh, the vast majority of people have hugely transformative experiences that are you know um, not too rough. You know what I mean? Like they, they're easy to handle. They learn a lot, and they just sit and meditate all night in perfect stillness and get up in the morning, they're like, oh, my God, you know, my life has totally changed what I saw. And I've seen people who go through that over and over again and never experienced anything, no matter how much they drink. And then I've seen, seen people experience, you know, drink a little bit and then have a complete, you know, psychic uh, split where, you know, two personalities will come out of them. Uh, you know, ultimately everything gets put back and reassimilated. But, you know, so I feel like if, if people are called to it, um, then they should they should definitely do it. I mean, it's something that that the uh, you know the Matrix in the in the U.S. and Western world doesn't want you to have access to, obviously. But that said, it's definitely nothing is for everybody. And in in that regard, I don't have anything to gain by by recommending it to to people. You know, Dylan, you put out a lot of great information on a regular basis. Again, your website wakingtimes.com. Highly recommend everyone check it out. What what are some of the Articles that you can think of that really do offer people an opportunity to empower themselves. What do you think of some of the most self-empowering and helpful articles that you've written? That's a great question because I'm kind of personally, you know, reflecting on that that right now. I, I, I write for Waking Times. I write as Dylan Charles, and there's probably eight or nine or ten other pen names that I write under. So a lot of stuff that I write that's more like news oriented or this and that, I'll write under you know one of my other pen names. Uh, you write all those articles? Not not everyone. No, absolutely not. But like you know, people like Alex Petrovsky and <laughs> Buck Rogers and Sigmund Freud and <laughs> Isaac Davis. You know, like Isaac Davis. When I want to write about politics, I'll or or the the state of uh, you know, kind of like the, the the power structure. I'll write as Isaac Davis. You know, uh, I started that that just in the beginning because uh, I was still trying to find my voice. You know, and that was one of the main reasons I took on this this project and started doing this is because I really wanted to learn to write and express myself. Uh, I'd always enjoyed writing, but I was never really good or or um, proficient at it. And um, so, as far as like like articles that change things, you know, I. That's a great question because I feel like, like at the same time, while there is an awakening, I feel like the last year, year and a half or so, especially with the election, there's been like a push uh, towards regression. Like you know, they're they're shoving the divide and conquer thing down their throats, and everybody's you know, a lot of people seem to be falling for it, hook, line, and sinker, you know, and just like taking the bait and running with uh, you know uh, their team, you know, and it. So in that regard, I. I don't know. I think a lot of the stuff that I write personally is Dylan Charles is a lot of the stuff that, you know, it's maybe not as like viewed as, you know, viewed as a lot of the articles, but uh, sometimes when I write, I'll, I'll um, definitely speak from the heart. And so the question really would be best answered by saying which things that I like the most. Like when I, when I write about, I've written about my personal experiences with depression and anxiety, um, you know, articles about how, you know, you know, the signs that you're outgrowing yourself, uh, written a bunch of articles about um, ayahuasca and uh, also the African shamanic plant medicine called Iboga, which is uh, incredibly powerful uh, healing uh, medicine. When I write about those, like those are the stuff that when I'm when I'm writing, I really really just get into. So there's that, you know, there's that that 
one side of me that, you know, feels like sharing the, the personal experience or just, you know, if you want to call it wisdom that I've picked up in, in my own journey that I'm willing to share. Like, I think that stuff is empowering the people. At least that's the kind of things that I get the most, like emails and, 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 uh, you know, the most, uh, comments from people around the world that are like, wow, I read this, this really changed my perspective or, or, or help me, you know, see that there's hope, you know, what can I do next? What's the next step? You know, but the, the other side of that, you know, the, the, you know, the other side of that duality or the polarity is that, you know, articles that just crack people over the head and, and you know, hit them with a big batch of, of truth. I mean, that's what I needed back in the day to, to sort of like trigger my own personal awakenings. I needed the, the hardcore information about, no, I don't want to live in a police state. No, I don't want to live in a one world government cashless yeah. society. You know what I'm saying? Like, holy crap, you know, like I don't want to live in, you know, like I don't want to live in a world where I feel like my government's, you know, like um, not being honest with us about events as huge as 9-11. You know what I mean? So so there is that element to it, like the element of, of uh, exposing and waking people up to, you know, what's actually happened. Um, I think those are those are important as well. And so I kind of I kind of like surf both of those waves kind of back and forth, just depending on how I feel, you know. Um, There's one article, I love it. It's called 18, quali- 18 Human Qualities Needed to Advance Global Awakening. And you <laughs> just lay out one by one by one. And I also want to tell you something, Dylan. One of the reasons why, among many reasons why I love going to your site is because you never get preachy. You don't really, you know, say, come hither or I, I have the way or, you know, <laughs> I am. I, you're just basically offering suggestions, insights based on what you're finding. It's as if like you're leading a trail behind, and I really respect that because there, there are a lot of sites that are out there where there's always somebody who's got the same kind of power structure. I'm like, don't you realize that you're just replicating the same structure you're rallying against, by, but you're just dressing it up in different colors? So I, I commend you for the way you present your information. Thanks. That's actually something I'm, I'm you know, consciously aware of is that I do not want to sound preachy. You know, there's a lot of uh, – you know, and this is actually in, in five plus years of doing this. This is the only only the second interview I've ever done. I've turned down quite a few because oh, uh, I might start maybe kind of sharing my story a little bit more. But I've, I've always kind of sort of held my own uh, uh, personal interest, my own identity to my chest a little bit, you know, because um, there are a lot of big personalities in the alternative, uh, you know, news world. And uh, I just don't have any interest in, 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 in becoming one of those. Uh, I will say that you know there's a, a gentleman John Rappaport perhaps you've heard of him. Yeah, we've we've had him on our show. He's great. Yeah, he yeah. Talked about the Matrix. Fantastic. Yeah, John Rappaport is a, a really interesting guy. Um, uh, he's had an impact on me in the last couple of years. You know, I, I, you know, he's one of the few people I repost articles from still these days. Um, you know, um, but uh, I took one of his. I, I got one of his. Uh, you know, uh, outside the Matrix, or wherever it was, was courses a couple of years back, and he talks about you know, uh, you know, the writer's tutorials and this sort of stuff. You know, sharing his experience as a writer. You know, he started off by writing a book about AIDS and and whatnot. You know, basically real journalism. And and uh, one of the things he talked about was you know how to like proofread and check your work. And you know, read it again, read it again. And, and then one of his comments was. You know, read it to, to find all the preachy parts, and then just nuke all the preachy parts. You know, and that's that's been a good philosophy for me. You know, like I I really don't I really you know it's kind of like the same thing with recommending people do ayahuasca. No, I'm not here to preach or whatever. I'm here to share. You know, it's just uh, this that's really why I started doing this. I didn't want to become anybody's master or guru or anything. You know, there's too many people that are trying to fill those roles. But but people like yourself, everybody, everybody has a story to share. Everybody has 
uh, life experiences that are valuable to, to someone, you know. So in that regard, I think that, that my main focus is just to, to you know, when, when inspiration, when I wake up in the morning and think, okay, what am I going to write today? What am I going to talk about today? You know, like uh, it's always a good day when I get an inspiration to, to you know to write an article about um, you know something that comes from the heart. You know, so well, there's a lot of great ones. Another article I wrote called Nine Key Components of the Shift Towards Higher Consciousness." We're going to post articles on our on our site directly for it. But uh, you know, I'd like to take it back to something you mentioned earlier, and I thought it was really in- interesting. You were talking about many years ago when you started hearing about the New World Order, and it was all this fear mongering out there, and you still see that a lot today. There are a lot of sites out there that really do try to push New World Order, um, you know, the, the Illuminati, and they're really going dark. And what I'm wondering is, do you feel that there gets to a point where the fear, even though they're trying to warn you about something, the fear becomes too overwhelming that it becomes counterproductive and actually holds the person in a state of more fear where they become less empowered to do something about the situation? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that what you just touched on there was one of the things that really changed my life for the better. Uh, many years ago, I was like I said, I was involved with Ron Paul and stuff. And another thing that I was doing was was I was working with a, a, a nonprofit organization that trained people on rifle marksmanship. You know, it, it, you know, it was n- nothing at all like a militia. It was a, the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. You know, but we were training people um, um, how to use rifles. You know, all kind of rifles: 22s, AR-15s, AK-47s, M1s, uh, you know, SKSs, whatever. And, uh, you know, we'd be training uh, children, we'd be training grandparents, moms, uh, soldiers who were on leave from active duty, who didn't feel like they were getting the training they, they needed from the Army to survive in Iraq, you know. Uh, and 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 one one day I was going home after teaching for like 10 days straight up in uh, Montana and Idaho. <laughs> I was coming back home and, and I had this giant epiphany and it was like, whoa, man, why are you doing this? Like, like uh, sure, this is cool. It's a lot of fun. Great people. But, you know, I'm doing this because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of, of what's coming, you know. And uh, I saw the sun coming over the mountains, and, I, you know, it just hit me. I was like, uh, this isn't really what you had in, you know, in mind for your life when you were, when you were young. This isn't really the vision you, you had, you know. Like, uh, uh, I went home and basically within a couple of weeks decided to move to Central America just to experience what I always thought would be a cool life, you know, living in the tropics, you know. <laughs> You know, so in that regard, yeah, fear is fear is paralyzing. A lot of people are pushing it out there. I mean, I have to make money just like everyone else, but it's extremely profitable to put out, um, you know, humor porn or, or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's extremely profitable for people. So there's an economic factor in there too right now. You've got this really interesting company called, you know, Off Grid Outpost, and you're selling seeds, you're selling emergency food. And the idea of a global economic collapse, it's not something that I think it's coming out from one or two individuals who just have this vision or, you know, somebody talked about it. You've got people like Peter Schiff, Gerald Salente, right. you've got several other um, globally respected economists as well as, you know, uh, I guess critical thinkers who all see this coming or to some degree. And, you I mean, it's great that, you're, you know, you have this thing out there. I'm curious, what is your perspective on that? Do you think that that's something that's, that's inevitable, it's going to happen, or do you think that it could be something that is just a, a machine to drive fear to a degree? No, I think it's absolutely something that's inevitable that, that can happen, that, that will happen at some point. I mean, just from a sheer, you know, the scientific uh, perspective, you know, if I have a, you know, a small, you know, a two-stroke lawnmower engine and I go out and I, you know, start ripping uh, hoses out of it, you know, or I I run it over time or, you know, leave oil out of whatever. In other words, if I don't maintain the system as it is, it's going to break down. And, 
and our system is in a crude state of disrepair. You know, everything from the, in the way the central banks run the the uh, the uh, the uh, monetary system to the way the government you know spends our tax money. You know, just I mean, yeah. So I think that you know, especially with the, with the, like the banking thing, I think that's 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 a that's a huge issue. You know, clearly they're they're pumping the economy full of, um, you know, fiat dollars, inflating the currency. They've been doing this for decades. So many people, uh, as you know, have been predicting it's going to collapse this month or next month, year after year after years. Yep. So when I, when I started Waking Times, I was looking for a way to support my family, and I started a couple of businesses at the same time uh, online. And uh, Offgridopolis was one of them. And it was, you know, it was, it was something I was familiar with. I was familiar with, the, like, the prepper paradigm, you know, back in my days. It's, it's not something that I, I focus on very much anymore. You know, we... We keep basic preparedness here, um, but it's but I've, I've really realized that you know, you know, just like a good Taoist will tell you that you know, like you don't really have control over anything. The universe is what it is, you know. So you're you're, you're better off. You're you're going to be able to find, maintain, and enjoy happiness on a day to day basis if you uh, allow that energy of uncertainty into your life, you know. And so. And so in that regard, uh, you know, as a, as a business, you know, it works for us and, and uh, whatnot. But I, I, I've never I've never done the crossover of trying to push people into that state of fear of, you know, buy, 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 buy. Because as you know, a lot of people do that, you know, buy gold, buy silver, buy guns, buy, uh, buy food. But it, on the other hand, you know, I, like I wrote an article the other day about, uh, um, you know, the um, – uh, a friend of mine sent me photos. He works at Walmart. He sent me photos of War- Walmart in Charlotte. Yeah, North. people going crazy. People going crazy. Like there's nothing on the shelves because of a you know 24 to 48 hour light snow winter weather. You know, so there is there is an element of of um, you know we do live in a very complex uh, uh, systems environment. <laughs> you know, and you do people do want to you do want to be able to eat because you know when people don't have food and water they tend to you know get violent. You know that's just the reality of the world. Do I just have a, well, I ask you two more quick questions. Uh, sure. Thank you so much for being with us uh, today. Uh, first question is this: is that if you could think of five ideals that you were raised, five lessons you were taught as a kid, and now you're raising, uh, do, you have, do you have a couple of children? We have three children. Two, three. Have three children. Yeah. What are you teaching your kids about the world now that is a total 180 compared to what you were taught about the world when you were growing up? Oh man, that's a big one. Well, um, I I feel like um, I don't know if I can I can come up with five things right off the bat here. But a couple, I, or anything. Yeah, I feel like when I was a kid, like we definitely enjoyed a certain sense of um, naivety, very much a sense of innocence. I don't think that you can shield children from that uh, that uh, any anymore these days. But whether it's something as simple as you know, like legalization of cannabis, you know, like when I was in fifth or sixth grade, I remember the 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 uh, drug war cops coming in with the, what was the Nancy Reagan program? Just say no program. Uh, dare, yeah, dare. Don't say, just say no to drugs, but say yes to the genocide. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, dare to keep kids off drugs. And the cops literally showed up when I was in fifth grade. They showed up in our school with a you know, bag of pot and all these, like, you know, fake drugs. And they lit up some grass that smelled like weed. And, you know, they passed around a bag of joints. And, you know, they, they told us how terrible all this stuff was and how deadly it was and how these violence that showed us guns and all this kind of stuff. Now, they came to scare the shit out of us, you know, because they knew we were innocent and naive and, and, and very much... Um, you know, malleable, <laughs> yeah, very, very uh, influenceable at that point. So I would say, like, like uh, I never hide anything 
from my children, you know, if, if they see something I want to know about, I tell them the truth about it. You know, like if uh, they they know what I do at work, uh, they're not old enough to really fully understand it. But if they ever have a question or wonder, you know, I'll tell them, you know, if they want to know, uh, you know, because they'll go to school and come home and, and all the other kids at school are, you know, bashing on Trump because their parents, you know, are telling them all day long how terrible Trump is. You know, I'll tell them what I really think about it. You know, like uh, I remember an experience when my uh, – when my daughter was maybe three, four years old, and, and maybe probably she's probably close to five years old, and I was down in the the bottom room uh, working in my sound studio, and she came in to play, and she grabbed a big jar of pennies, you know, and I'm always telling her I gotta work, kiddo, I gotta work, you know. And she grabbed this big jar of pennies and dumps this giant jar of pennies out on the floor and spreads them all around, and then she says to me, she says, she says, Daddy, you got all this money down here, so why do you need to work? <laughs> you know, says, why are you working when you got all this money right here? <laughs> Paused work, shut down, turn off, sat down on the floor, and explained to her what the Federal Reserve is. You know, what the Federal Reserve Banking Act of 1913 was. You know, like, like, well, this is why I work because this money doesn't have value. This money doesn't have value because of the world that we that we live in that that I work in. You know what I mean? So. So I would say, like, uh, in absence of five, like, one, one good one is just to, like, be honest with my children. You know, if I have a, a certain belief or something and they want to know about it, just tell them about it. You know, if they're curious why they keep seeing, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, cannabis legalization here and there. But, you know, where we live, it's illegal. Like, they don't get it. There's this weird sort of, is it okay to talk about it? Is it not okay to talk about it? You know, is it bad or is it good? Is it bad or is it good? You know, so I think I try to just... Um, uh, help them to be aware of possible is that not every not everything is as black and white as you know Trump is bad or or you know what I mean or you know so <laughs> see. See. I, you, go ahead I'm sorry good let me interrupt you no I was just saying I don't remember I remember it seems like when I woke up it was very much more I don't even know if it was intentionally sheltered but all we had was the you know the filtered six o'clock news because that's all there was in media so my grandparents and parents they didn't really know what was going on so I don't ever remember there being um, um, anything but just pure childhood innocence, <laughs> which was really cool. <laughs> Pretty nice to have it back then. And the final question I have for you, Dylan, is if there was any quote that you think of, it, any quote that you would say would be a very powerful quote that somebody could think about, meditate on, focus on, that would be so self-empowering that would really kind of just, you know, what's crucial to have with them? What, what would that quote be? <laughs> the first one that comes to mind, because there's so many good ones, but the first one that comes to mind is something that's carried me through some very harrowing uh, experiences and emotion, and that's uh, it's very simple. It goes like this: It says, um, "If it cannot be laughed at, it is not the Tao." And um, to me, what that means is that that in every moment, in every day of your life, and everything that happens, you have the, the 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 choice to perceive it, you know, uh, in one way or another, right? Um, if, if you can laugh at something, no matter how grave it is, no matter how ugly it is, whatever. Uh, laugh at it and put yourself in the position of, uh, you know, set yourself back cosmically to realize that we're all on a, you know, we're all on a track to some projectile hurtling through space. <laughs> you know, uh, what's happening in our lives is just a fraction blink of an instant, you know, so beyond what we see on a day-to-day -day basis, what we feel, whether it's depression or anxiety, beyond all that is a, is a, a sense of peace, a sense of purpose, a sense of, of uh, the endurance of life. And so uh, that's beautiful. And laughter is an expression of beauty. And so, if uh, if you if if you find yourself completely unable to laugh at something, then it's not something that you need to be involved with or even think about or, or, or consider. You know, 
I find that one interesting because because uh, I've gotten to the point in life where I can I can laugh about what's what's going on, you know, not not in a, a cynical way, but laughing about a, you know, oh my God, where's this where's this leading us? <laughs> where where is this going to take us? You know what I mean? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh boy, this is another twist. Oh, but there's uh, another, you know. So. Who knows what's going to happen? Mr. Dylan Charles, editor and founder of Waking Times. What a great honor it was to, to have you. And the fact that we were one of the few uh, shows that I had the honor of interviewing you was just fantastic. I want to let, remind everyone that uh, Dylan is student teacher of Shaolin Kung Fu, Tai Chi. And I get, if the last one was like, – the last one you, was – I'm going to mispronounce it. Qigong. Qigong. Qigong, yeah. <laughs> WakingTimes.com. Phenomenal, phenomenal site. A lot of great articles. And please also check out his other site at OffGridOutpost.com. This is Charles. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you, Ryan. It was an honor. Joining us now is the Astrophenom, our astrologer, Ms. Constance Stellis. You can learn more about Ms. Constance Stellis. You can get your chart done with Ms. Constance Stellis by going to her website at ConstanceStellis.com. Ms. Dallas, what can you tell us about the chart reading you observed, Mr. Dylan Charles? Well, uh, a serious, um, a serious individual who wants to make a difference. Uh, his sun sign is Taurus, grounded of the Earth, and considers his home and the planet's home as his territory. Um, very, very connected to his roots, um, physically and metaphysically. And then we also have uh, his moon sign in Aquarius, which is the, the space age sign, um, moving forward into uncharted waters or uncharted thoughts. And those two planets are in what's called a square relationship. So th- it's, it, he's a stubborn guy. Whatever he's going to put his uh, <laughs> mind uh, towards is uh, must be done, and um, it, it's a lot of power. Could be perhaps inflexible sometimes, but um, he has the 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 drive to make uh, what he wants happen happen. And then we also see his rising sign, another Earth sign, Capricorn, which. Uh, is um, a serious sign, and life gets better and better as uh, he ages um, because he knows more and he can um, see wisdom. Um, So, I mean, he's not too old right now. He's 45. He's kind of in the middle of things. And I think that um, about... Ooh, I don't know, maybe three or three, four years ago, he underwent a big change, and that set him on the path that he is on right now. And um, he has a lot to offer uh, in terms of uh, sharing knowledge. He has a lighter side with his two Gemini planets, Mars and Venus, and I think that that's very, very um, uh, important for his own writing and his own uh, communication. Um, and I think, you know, we're always interested or sometimes we're interested in past life uh, influences. And for him, he was some kind of spiritual leader, uh, clergy, we could say, um, in, in the past. And a lot of that wisdom is being kept and um, moved over to this time around. Do you 
as far as the reason why that change happened during the interview, we discussed uh, you know his evolution, and he said that he had this major change. Was that change predestined in his chart, or do you think that change was something that he had elected to do that he could have just kind of go, gone about his life and not have to worry about making that change? Would he have been fine no, if he never made the change? No, I don't think that would have uh, worked out very much. Um, because Pluto crossed his ascendant, and when Pluto um, <laughs> makes major moves in your um, in your chart, um, you got to do what it says, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, um, I mean, it, it's a powerful transit, and not everybody um, undergoes it. Um, and I, I don't have my proper book here, but but um, it happened last two years, and um, some people kind of just cut out and do something entirely different, uh, or some people refine what they've been doing in uh, a more um, visceral and profound way. Based on what you're seeing in his chart, what do you think he can expect to experience for the prolonged for the rest of his life based on uh, his chart, where things are going, where, the, where you see the charts moving? Um, more writing, more travel, more disseminating what he has to say, um, and um, I don't know. Does he have a foundation? He, he he would make a good. He would have a good foundation um, to. Uh, he would have a foundation to have a foundation. Some yeah. some way of of proliferating um, the the. Um, the knowledge that he has and increasing that. Estellas, the previous interviews discussed this big pole. I forget. I mean, I know it has to. One of them has to do Pluto. Pluto and there's another planet. They're kind of pulling each other apart. And I guess there's a lot of these oh, changes that, was that the are happening. Uranus Pluto square. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. As this is happening, do you, based on the chart, that when there is chaos, when mm. there is more global chaos, mm. that this gentleman is more likely to be successful or thrive in that chaos? Or is he somebody that could be just as successful when the world is a peaceful and tranquil place? Um, it's a good question. I, I would say that, one, because he can remain grounded, he has a chance of um, offering something to people who are desperate to try and hear something real as opposed to double speak and and um just kind of baloney we'll put it that way and um so i don't know if chaos is his his uh, you know will be the the thing that propels him but he can remain steady and that's really the important thing in the coming um in the coming years because the currents of of change and fear and um, awakening are intense. Miss Constantellis, the astrophenom, I want to thank you so much for your great analysis. I'm Mr. Dylan Charles. Mm-hmm. To learn more about Miss Constantellis and to get your own chart reading done with Miss Constantellis, please go to our website at constantellis.com. Okay. So, thank you so much as always. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Joining us now is the clairvoyant cowgirl, psychic empath, Miss Lisa Casa. You can learn more about Miss Lisa Casa and get a reading done with Miss Lisa Casa by going to her website at lisacaza.com. Miss Casa, what can you tell us about what you felt 
when you were analyzing and looking into the energy of Mr. Dylan Charles? Well, the very first thing was I have to be honest here and say that this man has lived so many lifetimes that I actually wasn't even able to pinpoint anything really specific or concrete to even explain to our listeners. He is an extremely old soul, what I call uh, one of the true wise ones. He's been on this earth basically, well, most likely since the conception of time. Because, right. like, yeah, but, I mean, I've seen, you know, like just a couple of examples in terms of his past lives. I see one here as him being at Stonehenge as an ancient druid. I see him as a Native American shaman. I've seen him as a knight, so like actual no- nobility, where I'm hearing him being referred to as sir, <laughs> you know, quite uh, very English, by the way. Many, many lifetimes. But what I find interesting, what points, or uh, what not, what points, what what I get the most is actually the one regarding the night, because most often when people have lived at least one lifetime as an actual night, um, those spirits are mainly the protectors and the advoca- advocators of society in terms of, of today, trying to waken up society today. Well, if he's been around for so long, why do you think that his soul feels the need to continue coming back if he's attained all this wisdom? If he's been a druid, if he's been a teacher and a leader, what would be the purpose of the reason to perpetually come back? Is it because uh, he likes it here, or is there any um, the main reason why it's, uh, he's going to keep coming um, back? Well, one, well, yeah, I'd have to, I have to agree with you. Of course, he like, he likes it here. That's why he keeps coming back. But I also believe that he is. Um, okay, the message that I'm receiving right now is that it's mainly because he is li- literally watching. I don't know if you want to call it progression or recession of Mother Earth and of the human nature as a whole he's watching it as as we go along so he's every single lifetime he's gaining that experience gaining that wisdom and the perspective of each lifetime that he's gone through and he can see whether it's you know it doesn't it depends on how you want to look at it whether it's progression or recession but that's what he's doing and it's like he's cataloging it within his spirit and as a result of you know when in this lifetime you know he's gathered all of this wisdom and all of this information and he's charted the progression slash recession of the human race and of mother earth and so this is what has ultimately caused his, the creation of his website and of how he tries to put out the truth to everybody cuz his his purpose is to tr- you know reawaken everybody um and to pass along, of course, to pass along that wisdom onto others and say, hey, look, this is how things used to be at such and such a time. Well, look now how they are now. And, and this is how things used to be. I was I was around to see this. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, a, you know, that's really is the driving force behind, I believe, the website itself. Okay. When you look at his energy and if you can possibly sense some of the guides that he has that he's working with 
do you sense that he's working with guides or even people who are around him that are inspiring him that have worked with other profound leaders and historical figures? And if so, what leaders and historical figures would have either the same or similar type guides? Um, you know, I actually wasn't uh, really shown that um, because uh, quite uh, like through a lot of his, well, not a lot, but the majority of his lifetimes, he was strongly connected to nature and Mother Earth. Mother Earth, pardon me. And so, because of that, like uh, he he has a more spiritual based uh, or nature based spiritual beliefs. Um, so. Right away, I got more so that he, like, there's two guys that he works with, but that I don't see them as being human. Me, I saw them as being the wolf totem and the bear totem, and they're working in conjunction with each other. I wasn't shown any um, uh, human forms um, when I did the analysis, but the wolf and the bear both came in very strongly, and they're both they're all about the protectors and the and the guiders and especially the wolf that the protectors of of the community so but that yeah I wasn't shown any um any human guides, so I can't really speak on that okay. if you look at Mr. Charles, he's always putting out information that seems to be very helpful to others, and is there anything that you see? that he could be doing that maybe he's not aware of right now or he doesn't see right away that he could do to oscillate his energy faster to become more in touch with the source more in touch with the wisdom and put things out even at a more um, profound prolific rate uh well one thing that i get hit with right away i don't know if this is what you're looking for but this is the answer that i'm receiving is that he is actually a very naturally strong communicator and teacher. It's in his nature. He's also, you know, a very natural helper and nurturer, um, very intelligent. And the message that's coming through here is that he should be doing more than the website. I'm feeling at least two, perhaps even three um, different books that are within him right now that he needs to write. And when he does that, that's ultimately following or fulfilling, you know, more of his purpose and goal in this lifetime. And as a result, when a person automatically starts to, you know, pursue those goals or, you know, pursue those things that are more in alignment with their their spirit's purpose or desires, well, naturally and quite automatically, they tend to, um, okay, the word I'm getting here is actually ascend. So he, he'll start to automatically raise those vibrations within himself at the same time as he's putting that word out. So if um, Dylan has been thinking about writing the book, a book, well, then this is the confirmation that he needs to get working on it and get them out there. Like I said, there's two, three, anyways, books in his, in his, oh yeah, for sure, that he should be putting out there that's, you know, not only going to put the word out, as you say, but it'll also automatically raise his own vibrations, but at the same time raise the vibrations and awareness of 
the general population, which is ultimately what he's actually supposed to be here for, to raise that awareness, to reawaken those people. Ms. Gaza, there are certain people, I guess maybe everyone has got a, a favorite color or a couple set of colors that they like to look at. Maybe it's a visual, um, makes you feel good because you look at it visually, but are there any colors that he could be surrounding himself with, whether it be clothing, whether it be colors on the wall, that would actually invoke or provoke a trance within him that would allow him to, again, raise the energy or put more of a profound positive energy out with greater intensity? That is so weird that you asked me that question because, you know, (laughs) earlier today, amongst the chaos with my puppy and everything, I actually got hit with, literally, word for word, green and blue colors. And I'm going, okay, well, is this, you know, Dylan... You got... uh, Who hit you? I I didn't get hit. Okay, Ryan. Oh, my God. One of these days, I swear, as soon as we meet in person, (laughs) my boot's going to be so so far (laughs) up your butt. (laughs) You're going to be tasting leather for a week. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> you just threw me way off. Oh, oh my, my God! I'll, I'll bring back so green and blue. What they're saying that these are what these are really strong, powerful colors. Yeah. Well, I felt that like I was wondering if that that was perhaps the colors within Dylan's aura. But it's just so weird that you asked me that question, and then I got those two colors like. How many hours before we've even started this discussion? So um, I'm going to have to go with that. Both green and blue, and green actually. Like uh, I know he was born in May, so uh, I'm not quite sure of the date. But uh, you know, so the birthstone is emerald for May. So that's one good gemstone for him to use to to empower his entire energetic field. But um, like green, if we just take a look at, at the color of green, it represents growth and balance. Um, and it's also something that alludes to something that's change, going to change. It leads to change. And there's a love of people, animals, and nature, and that's who he really is. And, of course, it's also the color of the natural teacher and health and healer. And the blue... Um, and this is where I think it's he should focus on much, much more is the blue. The green seems to um, tell us more about who he is, whereas the blue uh, color seems to be indicating where he could be growing much more. And like a you know of course like a blue is caring and loving and the helper like that, and that's who he is. However, uh, Dylan is also extremely sensitive and highly intuitive. And I think that he needs to bring that in into his work more than anything else at this point because um, he's got everything else. I mean, he's connected to the nature and the animals and the, he loves people. And again, like I said, he's the teacher and the healer, so the green isn't really focusing as much. It, it seems to be more of the blue that... that uh, he should surround himself more with so he can heighten his natural psychic abilities. That They're already strong as it is, but he surrounds himself with anything blue. Like a, 
uh, lapis uh, lazuli, it would be extremely good for him, for example, as a gemstone to use that. Miss Lisa Kaza, the clairvoyant cowgirl and psychic empath, really loved your analysis of Mr. Dylan Charles. To learn more about Miss Lisa Kaza and to get a reading with Miss Lisa Kaza, highly recommend it. Please go to our website at lisakaza.com. Thank you so much, Miss Kaza. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our incredible guest, Mr. Dylan Charles. Special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Kaza, and Miss Constance Dallas. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care, and thank you so much for listening.